Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night. Blister, how are you doing? Good morning. I, I'm doing okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's the honest truth. I like to tell the truth when people ask me that question. You know, so many people ask the question and you just... I'm fine. I'm not fine. Why ask? Unless you really want to know. I am possibly dealing with adrenal fatigue. Makes sense. Yeah, but I'm going to do some testing. I'm really, really tired and it... You know, at first I thought it was the uh, jet lag and then I thought it was having three births in a week and, you know, those all make sense. And so now here I am, I've rested, 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 and I still feel like I'm just dragging my body around. So I am so in tune with how I feel. I've been a dancer and a yogi my pretty much my whole life. So, you know, you know, when, you know, when you're off, just like midwives know when something's not normal with one of their clients, because we see normal all the time. So doing some, some tests and, and uh, hopefully I'll get some answers. It's always hard when you like look into that stuff and you don't get answers, but we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, in today's world, you know, I don't know that our stresses are, our stresses are certainly different in 2023 than they were in 1923 or 1823. Uh, our diets are different. Our lifestyles are constantly on the go. We don't spend a lot of time resting our brain, like sitting in a chair under candlelight, reading a book. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen much anymore. We're always we're always doing stuff. So adrenal fatigue is probably almost the normal state, and people don't realize it. Um, I had it for a while, and I took DHEA. When was that? Oh, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly. It was in the last five or six years, and it it had to do with I think my circadian rhythms being all messed up, being on call, and and mm-hmm. constantly being under fire. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that you're there. The world, you know, the world is chaotic right now. I mean, even our Zoom meeting wouldn't start properly this morning. <laughs> so, you know, we've we've been doing this for how long now? The long time. I was I was locked out of my own Zoom meeting. It's like well, you're not you're not in charge. Like, well, it's my meeting, but Zoom wouldn't let me run it. So, anything else you want to catch up on? I've got a few things, but I want to I want to be sure that I acknowledge you as always. Hi. You want to make sure you don't get in trouble. What does your um, coffee cup? What does your coffee cup say today? Oh, this is one I've had before. It says it has a unicorn on a stripper pole and, <laughs> and a regular horse, and it says other Midwest is the regular horse, and I'm the unicorn on the stripper pole, and it says you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cute class. Yeah. It's a gift. From I don't fun. think I've seen that one. That's a nice one. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's like my t-shirts. Usually you have something interesting. I'm sort of running out of t-shirts now. I think I've, you know, I'm not running out of t-shirts. I'm running out of unique t-shirts. I mean, everyone wow. I'm wearing now I've worn before, I think. Our fellow travelers can send me you cups and can send you interesting t-shirts. Yeah, that I can actually wear on the podcast, people. <laughs> there are certain t-shirts that, would, that, I, that I have, but I would never wear on the podcast. Okay, let me know what's up with you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. You know, I had, I mentioned that I had this bleed into my eye. Only to me, but not to the. Oh, okay. So yeah, very strange, very strange, thi- very stranger things. And by the way, I've been watched, binge watched all four seasons. And uh, I was driving home from Oregon. And because of the weather, I had to go hours out of the way. And I had to go through 
snow banks that were 12 feet high and and through the Sierras. And it was because it was it was beautiful, but it was formidable. Yeah. But on the last leg of the journey, as I passed through Hurricane Utah, up go up the grade toward about an hour away from Kanab or a little less, I started to see floaters in my eye and it got really murky. And what's really strange about this place is I had the same thing happen the first time I went out here in November when I was moving out here. And it happened mm-hmm. exactly the same stretch of highway. And I know exactly- that is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I can't explain it. I've driven that highway, you know, dozens and dozens of times and it happened in the same place. And then this one was much worse and I couldn't see out of the eye, period. Mm-hmm. From For a short period of time, I thought maybe I had a retinal detachment or something like that, but it turned out that that wasn't the case. And so I bled in the eye. So it started to clear. And I, you know, the other day I was at the eye doctor's follow-up and I could see 20, 30 out of that eye, which is normally that eye is much better than that. But now it's even clearer, but there's this floater that sort of looks like the creature from Stranger Things with the little <laughs> limbs coming down and all that stuff. And it's floating around there. I'm looking at it now. I'm sort of watching it, keeping an eye on wow. it. Excuse the pun. But so that's going on. So it's very uncomfortable for me sometimes to keep, I wear a patch most of the time now because it just is much easier for me not to have to deal with that. But for, <laughs> for the podcast, I want to keep up images. So I, I'm not wearing it right now. I don't know. I do have my eye patch. (laughs) It might be kind of tough, like a pirate. Yeah. Well, we'll see. If it starts to bother me, I'll put it on. I just want to promote a couple of things. I I was on uh, the Children's Health Health Defense TV show called Tea Time on April 3rd, and people can go to their website, Children's Health Defense. It's different from the Children's Health Alliance. There's a whole bunch of Children's Health something or others, but this is Children's Health Defense. It's Tea Time with Polly, and we did a whole interview. We talked about vitamin K, but a lot of other things as well. and then on Instagram at Intentional Birth, they've been running this thing called Obstetric Di- Obstetrician's Dilemma. Awesome. And I think mine went up yesterday or today. And uh, today's April 5th for those of us who are living in the real, but obviously you know, this will come out a couple of weeks from now. And so I, I really recommend it because those two ladies, Alicia and Meredith, have a lot of wisdom to share. And they, I get their daily emails from Intentional Birth as well. So at Intentional Birth on Instagram, I'd recommend you follow a good follow. Then our friend Jen Margulis, friend of the podcast, yeah. had an article recently in the Epoch Times. Epoch Times is behind a paywall, so you might have to pay for that. But I think posted a link to it on my Instagram. But I was quoted in her article called Pregnancy Problems, Maternal Mortality at an All-Time High. And she, we were talking about why U.S. mortality is up. In some parts of the world, it's actually down. But in America, it's up. And, you know, so there's the 800-pound gorilla that most doctors won't even mention. And we got into that just a little bit. Obviously, it's just a bunch of quotes because, you know, Jen and I could talk for 20 minutes and then I'll be, you know, there'll be three sentences in her, in her paper. But that's all you can do when you're a journalist. You, you're limited by the number of words and your deadline is what you can put in there. So people want to find that, they can find that. I'll be uh, next, when this airs, I'll probably be in North Carolina doing a Reteach Breach seminar. So things are a little bit quieter right now. I'm at home and I'm sort of enjoying that. With your with your indulgence, I have a brief monologue. I'd like to just drift off if that's okay with you. Is that okay with you? Yeah, but why don't you um, give them a little tease about what our topic is about today before yeah, we, well, we have We have a guest named Nat- Natalie Rojas. And Natalie is, among other things, a midwife student and a doula, but she's also an IVF coordinator. And we're going to talk to her about IVF in general and then about what she's seen over the last couple of years uh, that ties in sort of with Jen Margulis's story as well. What's going on in uh, with the miscarriages and the other things that are going on in that world. 
she's a very interesting person. I had a great conversation with her on the phone, so I thought I'd bring her on the podcast. So she'll be on in, a, in just a bit. And then, and then I have one Google Voice, but I want to just monologue for just a second. All right. I'm going to get on my high horse just for a second. So people that follow politics know that, you know, Trump's been indicted and Nancy Pelosi put out a tweet, which was I found to be quite bothersome. She said something, blah, blah, blah. And then she said, everyone should have the opportunity to prove their innocence. And I'm thinking about that. Nancy Pelosi's no dummy. She, she said that on purpose, but that's not the way our legal system is supposed to work under the Constitution. You're, you're presumed innocent. You don't have to prove anything. They have to prove that you're guilty. But Nancy Pelosi said that you need to prove your innocence. So the reason that that struck with me is because the Medical Board of California, um, they had a complaint about my website, which I just received after the other complaint about the Facebook post was resolved. There was a complaint about my website that I said this. I said, I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I was board certified in 1989 and became a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology in, in 1990. Somebody complained in 2018, Bliss, mm -hmm. about my website, but I, I don't get to know who it is. Mm -hmm. But what happens first is that uh, it took six years for this to come to fruition. So obviously, the consumer in California being defrauded by my incorrect words, which weren't incorrect, by the way, they weren't, they weren't as accurate as they would like, was obviously so important that it took them six years to send me a letter about this. But was, what was bad about what bothered me the most was that I was given a fine and a, and a citation first. Now I have to prove that I didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And that's backwards. They should have to prove to me that I deserve a fine. They should call me and say, this is what we'd like you to say. We'd like you to say you were board certified by the American Board of OBGYN. So I met with them with my lawyer line last week. And the woman was very sweet. I think she thought it was a nuisance complaint. She had no questions for me. My lawyer gave a quick little speech about how no reasonable person could read that chronologically and not understand that he's not board certified in neurology or dermatology, but that he became a fellow of the American Centric and Gynecology a year later. So everyone would understand that. But to please them, I went ahead and changed the words. So now it says I was board certified by the American Board of OBGYN, and they, they're going to remove the citation and remove the fine. But it's backwards. Okay. It's just backwards. Yeah. We live in a world where, you know, some people have power and other people don't. And the people with power are abusing it constantly. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. So, well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm glad that it's resolved. What it shows to me is just, you know, like we don't have better things to do. You just mentioned that we've got one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the world. And we don't have anything better to do. The medical board doesn't have anything better to do. But to critique the wording on your website. I mean, how inefficient and wasteful of time, energy, and money is that? It's called an, it's called an opportunity cost. And by wasting all that time, taking, first of all, taking six years to notify me about the complaint. Inefficient. <laughs> these are the people that are in charge. Don't you feel safer yeah. as a consumer being protected by these people? I feel uh -huh. safer. I don't know about you. I'm just feeling really, really safe. Real yeah. quickly, because Natalie's in the waiting room, I have a follow-up on a molar pregnancy. We did molar pregnancy on a recent podcast. And this okay. is from, uh, from Megan. She says, hi, Dr. Stu and Bliss. I'm Megan, and I just recently found your podcast. But I was listening to the episode on molar pregnancies, and I found it very interesting because I actually had a molar pregnancy back in 2012. After three successful home births and my previous children, I, didn't, I wasn't under obstetric care until I was 12 weeks because we had been planning to move. 
And so I was planning to wait until we moved to find a midwife. We were living in New York City, and it was a little bit of a headache trying to find a home birth provider. But I started spotting, and I went to the ER, and I was diagnosed with a complete molar pregnancy. I then got transferred to an obstetric oncologist um, and, was, and got a complete DNC, and then had to go back for follow-up appointments for six months, where they sequentially followed her HCG levels. As we suggested is important in that episode. Yeah, I really did. Then sometimes, it, I think we mentioned three months. I always thought six months was what I was taught. So I'm glad that that's what they taught in New York too. Then I was cleared to get pregnant again. And after that, I had five more successful, healthy home births. <laughs> Yay. So she's been busy. No further issues. <laughs> I did have a miscarriage two years ago, but it was just a typical miscarriage. It wasn't there. It was, there were no signs of a molar pregnancy. So if anyone is worried about that, I would say very low odds, but it would happen. And I have certainly had no lasting repercussions from having gone through it. So she just wants to write and say, listen, for anybody that has a molar pregnancy, don't worry. That's good. I love that. That's right. Thanks, and Megan. Before we jump into the um, interview, I just wanted to read a little post about a successful breach story. Is that okay? To- yes, please. Okay. So Jamie Wilson sent a message on Instagram and she said, I just had a footling breach unassisted at home last August. I had hired a midwife who was fine assisting me in a breech home birth, but she didn't make it in time to the birth. She showed up about 20 minutes after the baby was delivered. Luckily, I suspected she was breech, so I had prepared for a breech birth. And if she wasn't, then, oh, well, it was nice to gain all the knowledge of breech births. When my body was pushing on its own, I decided to reach down and see what I felt. And sure enough, I felt little toes. My favorite. They're so cute when they come out. I'm assuming I labored through the night sleeping because I woke up at 8.30 a.m. to water leaking and contractions already every three minutes. By 9.05, my water fully broke. And by 10.30, my baby was in my arms. Our bodies are not stumped because of a breech baby. It knows how to deliver a breech babe. Now that I'm a breech mama, I have met thousands of other vaginal breech mamas. It's a shame America has stigmatized and pushed fear around breech birth because our bodies are quite capable to have breech babies just fine. Quite honestly, it was my easiest delivery out of all four children. I had the supposedly most dangerous kind of breech and the birth was flawless and flowed beautifully because I trusted my body, my baby and the birthing process and let my body do its thing. When left undisturbed, our bodies will do what it's made to do. I told my husband, hands off the baby until the head was left and then offered a little support, but we literally did nothing but worked with my body. I instinctively got out of the bath and moved to the side of my bed and got into runner's pose, which I know logically that opens the pelvis the widest, but during active labor, you just don't think logically. So that didn't cross my mind. My body just instinctively got into this position and good two to three pushes, the whole body was delivered. I got a very short video at the end of her birth that my mother-in-law shot and I'll forever be grateful for that. Vaginal breech births can be done. Don't let them lie and tell you otherwise. So I just thought that was awesome to just have a small story. Who was that? Jamie Wilson, 1986. (laughs) <laughs> that's her you know all that all that that's that's her handle okay <laughs> yeah just a couple of comments about that first of all I haven't just vilified breach birth in america they've vilified it all over the world mm-hmm. secondly complete breach was what her baby was with a with a foot down is not the most <laughs> it's not the most dangerous i i just want to make sure we're clear about that it's actually i that's my favorite because for whatever reason 
if the baby is in trouble, you got to handle and you can grab, uh-huh. the you can pull the baby out if it's, she's completely dilated. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I love what you said. You said the cutest thing is when the toes pop out, mm-hmm. you know, we feel that way, but <laughs> I, I got a feeling that the majority of the medical world, when they see toes pop out, aren't thinking cute. The cute, cute is not the first word that comes into their mind. <laughs> well, I'm lucky that I got to study with you and saw so many breech babies be born and assisted in some, like actually was catching because that was where I was in my training. And I don't have fear around breech babies. And that's what a benefit that is for me and for the clients I work with. Yeah, it is. Going into birth, feeling safe. I mean, I read story after story all the time where a woman, you know, she's tracting away and then she goes to the hospital and she starts to get inundated with people around her doing stuff to her or, or fearful people and her labor peters out her labor stalls that sort of thing happens far too often anyway good story thank you bliss you're welcome thank you jamie hey bliss guess what time it is it's time to talk about our sponsors yeah we're going to talk about needed and you know that's the product that i've been using and i think you probably have too yeah and, i love it uh, yeah so tell me why Well, you know, we're very selective about who we partner with and Needed is an amazing company that's women owned and really has done the work to bring really quality products to the market. One of them is Julie Sawaya, who was a client of mine. She has two home births and we did do an episode on her. So you guys can go back and check her out because it's really amazing they've done. And I love the products because of that. And also I, I really love supporting a company that has a supplement that is helpful for women who have nausea. So they have their prenatal vitamins in a powder form and also in another form that's called, they call essentials, which is just the basics. So that if a woman is having nausea, which happens quite frequently, they can still take their prenatal vitamins. So. Yeah. Julian Ryan, they hand selected every ingredient and nutrient dose And they spend thousands of hours reviewing supplier sourcing records, clinical literature to come up with the best possible combination of substances in their products, which which include things like their prenatal vitamin, which you just mentioned, which comes in that powdered form, which you love. And they have a pre and probiotic. They have a collagen supplement. They have a stress support, sleep and relaxation support, hydration support. They have choline and CoQ10. And they also have a men's health plan as well. So get your husband's. Mm -hmm online, go check them out. You go to thisisneeded.com and use the code word birthing instincts. When you do that, you'll save 20% off your one-time order. So that's thisisneeded.com, code word birthing instincts for 20% off your one-time order. Thanks, Needed. Thank you. We have Natalie. You like to go by Natalie? Yeah, Natalie's good. Welcome, welcome to the podcast, Natalie. I don't know if you've met Bliss before, but that's Bliss. No, I have not met Bliss before, but I feel like I know the both of you because I listen to you all the time. <laughs> it's such an honor to be here with you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Welcome. Well, we had a great conversation and that's why I wanted to bring you on. And first, let me introduce you. I'm going to read your introduction in the first person as if I'm you, because that's the way you wrote it. And I really sort of liked it that way. So um. I reside in Tongva land known as Los Angeles. I'm a first generation. My parents are from Guatemala and El Salvador. We are descendants of the Maya people. I am a mother to a precious 14-year-old. I'm a daughter, a partner, full-time, I mean, full-spectrum traditional birth worker, ceremonial holder for placentas, certified lactation educator, lactation consultant, student, IVF coordinator, which is sort of the 
All the other stuff is great, but I brought you on because of the IVF stuff. Aspiring midwife and founder of Sabaduria Birth and Lactation Services. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Is that correct? It's Sabaduria. It's a tough one. Forget that. (laughs) (laughs) That's not coming out of my mouth. Wiz can say it that way, but I can't. All right. My passion for reproductive rights and advocacy for birthing folks and babies was ignited when I became a mother at the age of 16. My birth experience was one that I will remember forever, and not just because it was the day I met my son, but also because of how traumatic it was. This experience was the fire that ignited my purpose. I can't say that, I can't say that I've heard that story before. I am a believer that all happens for a reason and that I had to face these things so I could answer the calling of midwifery. As an indigenous birthkeeper, I am passionate about bringing my cultural values and ancestral traditional practices and weaving them into my offerings. I recognize the importance of providing comprehensive care for birthing folks during pregnancy, labor, postpartum recovery, breastfeeding changes, all while being respectful of families' individual needs. That's Natalie. So, oh, it's beautifully written. I'm glad you read it. That's why I had to read it as is. I, I wasn't going to yeah. paraphrase that. But I have to say that we'll get, I think we'll get to the IVF stuff shortly, but there's so much interesting stuff there about your journey to midwifery and indigenous traditions and those sort of things. Can you just tell our listeners a bit about you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, I'm just really grateful to be in this space with you all. So it's a, it's a blessing to be able to just be able to speak about my journey. As you read, I was a teen parent. I had my son at the age of 16 and my birth was very traumatic. I had all the things happen, you know, the trifecta of things. I had induction, you know, I had the epidural, I had the cesarean, I had the separation, like you name it, I had it all. And, uh, it was really, really tough to go through all of that, not only as a 16-year-old, but also just like being really judged throughout the entire process while I was at the hospital. You know, it was almost like, oh, well, you got yourself into this position. So, you know, you got to deal with it type of thing. And it was life-changing, obviously. My son had to experience all of those things. And I had to take some time. I really, in the beginning, I really wanted to be an RN in, in an L&D department. It really was like, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go to the doctor route, although I considered it, but I was like, you know, I just, an RN. And because I was a single parent and I had to get things going, I just decided to enroll myself into a vocational school. So I attended a vocational school so I can get my medical assistant certification. Started working in the medical field. I was like, this is perfect. I'll get my feet wet, figure out how I can navigate through everything, see if I like it, if I really want to commit to going to school for an RN. And I found myself in different offices. I was in, like, I worked, my first job was ever as an MA was with an OB, who the OB actually happened to be my OB. It was my mom's, my mom's GYN. And he ended up taking me on as a, as his patient once I found out I was pregnant. And then I started working with him after that, um, which I thought was neat. But I also felt like I was a uh, in a really interesting space because he also felt like very like you did this so you're like you're just like a bad child for being pregnant and now you have to deal with all of this so it was just a very I was young so I was just going based off of what my mom was telling me to do had no education about anything didn't really know too much about midwifery or what a, a doula was and all of that so my only education ever was through WIC. Thankfully, WIC was available and that's where I got my resources for my my breastfeeding journey. And that's where I saw that I'm never going to forget. I saw the video of the, you know, the famous breast crawl when you put the baby on 
and and they just crawled to that was like I want to do that I just remember leaving WIC that day being like I want to breastfeed my baby and I want to figure out so like thankfully the hospital the only thing they did listen with was not giving my son formula so I was able to feed him right away but he was also starving when I got into the room he was like yelling at the top of his lungs because he hadn't had anything to eat and we were separated for so long which now that I know all the things we should have never been separated to begin with so can you just take that back and tell people what WIC is just briefly? Yeah. So WIC is, it's offered in majority of like the LA area. I know it's offered in different locations too, but it's a, it's basically somewhere where you can go and like you get support. So there are breastfeeding counselors and lactation consultants on site. There's nutritionists on site and it's for a lot of low-income families. I mean, it's open for everyone, but a lot of low-income families do get an opportunity to get support through them, whether it's getting, at the time when I was there, it was like a food certificate. But now I mm-hmm. think there's cash or cards that you could use, but they give you resources so that you can go to the grocery store and buy milk and cereal and veggies. And if you're breastfeeding or chestfeeding, and you whiskey. get an additional, and <laughs> you get an additional extra extra cash to spend on more food because you're breastfeeding and if you're not breast breast or chest feeding then they also give you free formula um and they all they have all of these great resources on site where you can just go and they offer educational classes nutrition classes and just things that you know a lot of folks do need throughout this entire process and they're great resources now is this a is this a california thing or is it a is it a medicaid uh like national thing you know a California thing to be completely honest I I know that there's I want to say it's just California but I, I may be wrong I'm well it's, okay. what I'm what I'm saying is it's nice to know that a program run by our state actually does good yeah <laughs> yeah if you, if you listen to the podcast you know that we're not real high on government-run programs so that's good to know so thanks for sharing that part yeah one other question yeah. before you go on is you know you you said your experience in the hospital wasn't the greatest. Yeah. And that you were, you know, you were 16 and they shamed you a little bit, that sort of thing. So how was it to go to work for the same guy? <laughs> you know, it was interesting. I obviously didn't end, end up being there too long, but it was, it was interesting to work with him. He was an old school doc, so definitely had his ways of doing things. And his office was just ran with his wife and one other medical assistant. And it was just really like, it was, it was, it was good experience, but I definitely was like, I don't want to be here any any longer. And I left. I also still had to, still hadn't really processed all the trauma that I went through. I feel it was not until I really started diving into the birth work and I decided to go into a doula training. I ended up doing it through Dona International. The first one, Beanie Birth in Sherman Oaks with Anna Paula, who is phenomenal, amazing. I really, really am grateful to be able to have learned from her. But I do feel that that was, it was a three-day course and it was so intense. So much information was like thrown at us that I left there feeling like, what do I do now? Like, <laughs> how do I even like navigate to like get clients? Like, I don't even like have a web. It was just, I left feeling way more overwhelmed and Community-wise, I don't feel like I was. I got what I wanted. Like I know that birth in birth work and in our communities are are large, and there's a lot of people that are part of it. And there, it just didn't feel very community. Like it felt a little disconnected. Anna Paula was great. I was like, an honor to like 
learn from her, but the everything else just didn't feel, it wasn't sitting well in my heart. So I didn't do any birth. I just kept searching for like another training because I was like, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper because I know that birth work, you have to go deep and it's, it's way more than we can imagine, of course. And I know that you both know that. And I ended up finding a training through a student midwife who is based in Oakland. Her name is Tumaya Franklin. She goes, it's on Instagram. She's to me to touch. And she offers a, a BIPOC um, cohort. So brown indigenous people or black indigenous people of color cohort. And that was a six month cohort with the last month was meeting in person, which I flew to the Bay. And that was the most transformational thing that I could have done. It really, her thing is you got to doula the doula. You got to doula your damn self before you actually step into a birth room or into any space. And, you know, you want to leave everything that you have at the door. And when you go into the space, you know, you're fully present for the birthing, birthing people and for their families. So we did a lot of inner work, a lot of womb healing, a lot of things that I was not expecting to like uncover mm-hmm. and, all, you know, doing the work. That's what happened. And that's when that in that moment, I cried a lot in that in that cohort, because those are the moments where I realized, like, I shouldn't have been separated from my son. I shouldn't have had to experience all the things that I did. But I had to, like I said, I had to experience those things so that I can get to this point where I'm at today. So her cohort was amazing. I learned so much. And then I flew to the Bay and we went, she, we all got an Airbnb and we just did ceremony all weekend. We like mm-hmm. had some curanderas come, come by who are basically just medicine women. And we had other birth workers in the area. There was just like so many amazing things that we did. And I left feeling like so cool and right after that I was like okay I feel like I'm equipped now to like go out and like do the work that I need to do so this was like back in 2018 17 18 and then that's where after that my goal was I'm going to get into lactation now because essentially midwifery is something that I've always wanted to do but the fear a lot of things have always held me back from doing that and I also really wanted to take the time to just dedicate time towards my son because I know that midwifery is so a commitment and I didn't really want to start when he was very young and because I was a single parent at the time and now I have a partner who I'm very blessed to have in my life since my son was four so it's been a nice thing to kind of cultivate and then I was like okay finally I can start thinking about getting into midwifery but I was still very like skeptical of like even taking the plunge and applying for school because of imposter syndrome and many other things. I started my lactation consultant journey, which was uh, right at the top of the pandemic in 2020 is when I started doing all of that. And I'm taking pathway three. So there's different pathways into that. I don't know if you know what the details into all of that, but there's pathway one, two, and three. And depending on where you are, if it's like Pathway one, it's like if you're a nurse or a doctor, I believe. Pathway two, I don't know all the pathways, to be honest. The only one I really That's know okay. is the teacher one, because it's what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's basically, I'm I'm taking the route where I'm, I had to go back to school, take all my 14 health sciences and 95 hours of lactation education, and then 500 clinical hours, which is what at the tail end already, finally. So after almost three years I'm about to be done with my hours so that I can sit for my board exam this fall 
and I can get my IBCLC hopefully. Yeah. I know I'm so excited. (laughs) I feel like it's been such a journey because, because of COVID I had the biggest like setback because I wasn't vaccinated and because I chose the authentic route. I didn't placements to go to at the placement I was in it like basically kicked me out because I wasn't vaccinated and then they became like a big vaccine site so they didn't want me there because I wasn't vaccinated and then after that I was like pretty much in a holding space because there was nowhere that was willing to take me because I wasn't vaccinated and that I can go off and off and off about I can go into details about that if so you want me to. We'll, we'll we'll sort of t- get to that in a little bit yeah um, I just want, I want to just say that listening to you, all right, first of all, you have no, you have no problem pressing yourself. It was great. And secondly, there's a lot of wisdom. I mean, a lot of bliss wisdom and coming out of your mouth. It was sort of interesting for me to watch bliss's face while you're talking. The thing that we talk about is self-care a lot. And, and when you said uh, you have to doula yourself or whatever, that, that, that's so true. And that's just not for doulas, by the way, that should be for every single person on the planet. We should be working very hard to to do ourselves and be kinder to ourselves and and help ourselves so that we don't stress out so we don't freak out we don't make bad decisions so many people fall into you know they they get overwhelmed and because they're not their brain hasn't worked out a way to to process things and so rather than take a step back count to 10 breathe you say your serenity prayer whatever it is you want to do they jump into something in a panic mode and that and that's not good. And, and especially for birth, it's certainly not good. Yeah. What I heard, Natalie, is the integrity at which you have stepped onto this path. And, you know, I think so many people just kind of jump in as a profession and aren't really in tune and in touch with the real soul of this work. And so yeah. I heard is that you continue to seek that out and found your, your, your tribe of people who could really help you uh, understand and connect what was what your soul was telling you with the actual work. And so that's what I heard. And I know that sometimes like with the setbacks with COVID and all of that, when I have people that I'm mentoring, you know, I always remind them, especially with midwifery, because it is such a profound path that we're on, you know, that all of those setbacks, all of those traumas, everything that you've been through is part of the quote unquote being a midwife. And it's not just about the clinical learning about how to do IVs and give meds and all of that stuff. It's about what it's going to take to, to hold space and walk the journey with these families. And so that's what I heard. So I want to just acknowledge you for the depth and integrity that you stepped onto this path. And, and I have no doubt that families that you serve will be so rewarded by, you know, connecting with you and being served by you. really means a lot. Thank you so much, Liz. Yeah. I really, really do appreciate that. It's been a journey. It definitely has been a journey. This is why you, you touched me when you emailed me and the birth world is a better place because you're in it. So we're all lucky for that. So Bliss, guess what? What? We have a new sponsor. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited about our new collaboration with Branch Basics. They are an amazing company. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting how they got founded. They're a company that makes a non-toxic, hypoallergenic, preservative-free, biodegradable cleaning product for your home that really does everything. It sort of has one thing. You can do your counters. You can do your laundry, makes hand soap. So it's really kind of a cool concept. And they have a very interesting website at at branchbasics.com. 
So hopefully people will check that out. But I've been using it in my laundry for approximately, I don't know, six months now. I like it because unlike some of the commercial laundry detergents, you know, it's not tested on animals. It's it's biodegradable. There's some articles coming out more recently about some more toxic stuff in, in our laundry detergent and our cleaning fluids that we use in our house. So we have something that goes along with your and my philosophy of mm-hmm. trying to get back to a simpler time with, with healthier things, right? Exactly. And I think you were mentioning how they began. It's a it's a, another female-owned company, which I totally love. And um, I've been on the non-toxic home for decades. Um, so I'm always trying new things. And I really do love the simplicity of their product. You know, sometimes I try new things and they're natural, but they don't really work that well. And I really do feel like th- this works really well. I, I also have been using all of the products in my home and I'm really excited about supporting them. Yeah. I mean, it's a simple thing to do. To, you go to links.branchbasics.com backslash birthing instincts and anything you order, you get 15% off of your starter kit. And of course, when you're going for the first time, that's what we want you to order their starter kit. And I think it runs around $75 or something like that. Out of that, you get a whole bunch of stuff. You get like three bottles full of uh, all-purpose cleaner, bathroom cleaner, state street free cleaner, foaming wash for your hands. And then the laundry, 64 laundry loads or something like that out of one bottle. So ultimately, I think that it's a fair, it's a really good price. And, you know, you and I pretty picky about who we let sponsor the podcast. And so we'd like our you, our fellow travelers, to go to links.branchbasics.com. Use the code word birthing instincts for 15% off of a starter kit. Thanks, Branch Basics. Welcome, Branch Basics. I'm going to change the subject a little bit because you wrote me uh-huh. back in February. And you wanted to share some things with me. And while you're doing all these things, by the way, you have a job. Yeah, yeah I do. I do have a job. The job is you're, you're an IVF coordinator. What is an IVF coordinator? And how long have you been doing it for? So an IVF coordinator is basically a, could be a nurse, a medical assistant um, who is working at a reproductive center. And we basically walk you through point A to point Z and everything in between. So we help you coordinate everything. We order your medication, we teach you how to do your medication. We help you understand everything that you're essentially about to go through. We have a really good understanding in looking into hormone levels. Like the doctors really, when I started, let me just take it back. When I started working in an IVF center, I had zero knowledge as to what IVF was. I knew about it because when my partner and I got together, we were like, okay, well, we're going to have children. How how are we going to have children? Being two women in a in a cup, like in a same sex relationship, like how are we going to figure this out? I had I had some idea of things, but I didn't really have an understanding of everything. So I remember looking up things online and like starting to read. Of the concept is looking at how much a vial of sperm is, and I right away was so overwhelmed. I like closed the laptop and I was like, okay, well. Whenever we get here, we'll cross that bridge. And I was looking for work. I had just stopped working at an ENT office and I had just finished a job interview. The, the first center I worked at was in Beverly Hills. And I just finished a job interview in Beverly Hills. And I got a phone call for another job interview that happened to be, I happened to be standing right in front of that building. 
when they called me and they're like, can you come in for an interview tomorrow? And in my head, I'm like, I can come right now. I'm outside of your building. <laughs> and then I started working at the IVF center, having zero knowledge as to what it was or what you had to do, because it's such a unique profession that they, they really take the time to train you to understand everything because you don't get taught what IVF is in medical assistance school. And I don't think you really get much of that information as in, in like when you're an RN as well, because we have RNs that join us all the time that don't know anything about IVF. And they're really big on making sure that like we know exactly what we're talking about. So the doctors take the time to sit with us and explain everything, like explain what a corpus luteum is or what FSH levels are and what IVF is in general. So like we go through this really intense training and they the two IVF centers I worked for have really big binders and they really kind of just walk you through everything. And then just one-on-one training with one of like the veteran or senior nurses that have been there for a really long time. They kind of take you under your wing and that's how you learn and you just ask questions. And I've been in the field for, I'm going to say almost five and a half years now. And really you think or you sink or swim in that field because if you don't understand it you just won't understand it and folks will just get like overwhelmed and then they just like check out and they leave so if you really stay it's because like you're really passionate about it I I personally feel that way I because I'm a doula and a, a birth work a birth worker in a sense I found myself being a doula to all of these patients because they needed this support so I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. I'm already, uh, this is work that I already do. And now I can just, you know, help patients walk through this entire process. We have patients who have no idea of what IVF is. And then we have some who are educated and who know exactly what they want. So my my job is to essentially walk you through everything, schedule and coordinate your cycles, whether you're doing an insemination at IUI, whether you're doing an IVF cycle, which is in vitro fertilization or whether you're doing a frozen embryo transfer or just an embryo transfer. There's so many protocols and things that we have to learn, so much medication that's involved uh, that you just, like now I can tell you with my eyes closed, like everything about IVF. But before I was like, I had no idea what it was. Yeah, I've always, I've always been really curious. I have like this assumption, but I don't have the deep knowledge that you do of working in the field and learn everything that you've learned. I feel like more and more people feel like they're they need fertility support and I do preconception counseling for for women you know who are, who have not necessarily struggled but they have this assumption like they might have a hard time getting pregnant and really most of what I do in those sessions are talk about lifestyle and relaxing and enjoying the process and you know kind of rolling out the red carpet but not like assuming that they, they're not going to have a problem getting pregnant. So I feel like potentially a lot of people jump into this infertility treatment that maybe don't really need it. And that it's a miracle for the people who really do need it, obviously, or are in your situation where they're in a same-sex couple and they, they you know, they want to utilize the, the technology. But what do you, what do you feel being a being a doula and a midwife student and working in that field, do you feel like it's something that's overused similarly to like how we overuse inductions and cesareans now? I feel like it's a 50-50 because there are folks who really do need it. Like there are folks who've had multiple miscarriages and who can't 
stay pregnant and they need that additional support. And there's so many things that could correlate into not being able to, you know, conceive. And then there are folks who, well, then there's egg freezing. Egg freezing has become really, really popular these days, I feel, because a lot of more insurance companies, like the big, like, like Netflix, Starbucks, and like big companies are offering great IVF insurance. So folks are able to do this with insurance coverage, which I think is phenomenal. I think it should be offered for everyone. Because for me, the folks that are low income and same sex couples are my like my passion. Because one, I could relate to them. I, I'm on myself is still consider myself low income. Like I'm still working my way to get to where I need to get. And I'm in a same sex couple relationship. So that I always feel like I could relate to them. Not that I can't relate to everyone else, but like I feel like I have to help them more. So if I give them we always have medication stash, so I'll give like medication medication for free or like I'll just go the extra mile for them because I know how expensive it is. Like, I mean, IVF medication, if you're doing a full round, can range anywhere from like $2,500 to $4,500 or $4,600 for just one cycle. And that's not including any additional medication the doctor may want to add in between cycles or if your cycle goes longer, we need to buy more meds. Like, it's so expensive that I don't feel it's it's not attainable for a lot of folks who want to conceive. We have folks that come in and they're like ready to start, but then money is always an issue. So to answer your question, I do feel that it's like a little bit in between. There are folks who may not need it, but they're just doing it for planning purposes. A lot of, we do get a lot of those too. The folks who just want to like have embryos on ice and just ready to come back whenever they're ready to come back. But like you, Bliss, I do a lot of the conversations with 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 patients too because we spend more time than I will be honest. We spend the nurses will spend a lot more time than the doctors will with the patients course, because of the course doctors. That's true. Yeah, that's all. That's all. That's always the case. The system yeah. isn't designed to give doctors that kind of time. It's just not designed. No, no, they don't have time. They're going, going, going. They're going to retrievals, going to transfers. They don't have time. Yeah, Natalie, I want to ta- I want to take this into the direction where you wrote me initially. Be- you wrote me because you saw a video. First of all, we'll get to it, what you saw before 2020 and what you've seen after. But but you wrote me because you saw a video where Dr. Drew was interviewing Naomi Wolf. And we'll put the link up in the show notes for people to watch that video. I watched it on your recommendation, I think, or maybe I'd already seen it. I don't remember. What was it about that that triggered you to write to Bliss and Me? And, oh my and, God. and let's let's get into that because I think yeah. I think there's this is the 800 pound gorilla that a lot of other Medical shows and stuff are not going to talk about, but we're going to talk about it here on yeah. the Burning Instincts podcast. So, you know, so. after I listened to that podcast, Dr. Stu, I was like, I know who would appreciate me saying all of what I have to say. And without hesitation, I was like, I'm going to email Dr. Stu and I'm going to send him all this information because I was just so like on fire after listening to the, to the interview that I'm like, I know that you would appreciate all of this, especially because you're so big in talking about the things that folks don't want to talk about, which is, the, you know, the real reality, the truth and the truth, like, the truth, yeah, that, the yeah. truth. That's, that's all it is. True. And that's why I, truth like, is the truth. It. People can choose to believe it or not believe it, but it, it's, there's some things that are undeniable. And yeah. this, is, this is one of them. I mean, you wrote to me, you said that, you know, you've been doing this for four or five years. So you have your share of experience and knowledge around reproductive endocrinology. And I've noticed since the jab has been out, 
And there's an insane amount of boosters that have been followed. There has been a high increase in miscarriages after um, frozen embryo transfers. And you said, it's alarming. And you said, all the doctors are encouraging the mothers to get boosted and jabbed or jabbed and boosted. Yeah. So can you explain what you've seen and how that makes you yeah. feel as a, as a member of the smart club of the unvaccinated? It, it was to the point where I was like, I, every time a patient would ask me, should I get vaccinated? I would give it this, I wouldn't even want to answer them. So I would give the message to answer to a different nurse because I didn't want to say it. Like that's how much it would bother me. So because, you know, I've just expressed that I've had experience in the, in the IVF world for some time, we have our share of miscarriages. It's It's common. Yes, it is common. It happens. I would see it before but after the job i noticed it increasing significantly and it was when it was really hot like right now i feel like things have kind of cooled down a bit and, and folks aren't really like get the booster get the job or any of that like i thankfully started working at the ivf center that i'm at now because they were allowed me to use my religious exemption or else i was i was out of a job like i couldn't find a job and i was able to get here you also you also said that that you referred them to someone else for counseling, which means that you were muzzled, right? Were you afraid to tell yeah. people what you thought because you might get fired? Yeah, of course. Like, I feel like it could be me, like, saying false information because I, there's doctors on staff, they're obviously doing their due diligence and they are not, they're just following the rules, right? Like everyone else is. And I felt like a lot of the doctors were saying to do the, the job because that's what you had to do in order to get seen at the center. Like you couldn't walk into the center without having a job. This is freaking amazing to me. Okay. There's so much evidence out there. And the, and the, in the video, Naomi Wolf talks about the incredible miscarriage rate, the incredible menstrual irregularity rate, the stillbirth rate, all rising blood, blood clots, weird things happening, all rising. Mm -hmm. There's so much data out there. Here you've got reproductive endocrinologists, and I'm not shaming them specifically. But they are just disorderly. We talk about this all the time. They're sort of just bots. You know, okay. they're just cogs in the wheel. And they're just regurgitating information that the, you know, the American Facility Society or the ACOG or whatever else are putting out about the safety of this vaccine when there's so much data. You'd think that these are, are intelligent medical people with women spending a lot of money on something. And they're not, they're not looking into the research and giving informed decision making and informed consent. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're encouraging something that's never been encouraged before in women who are pregnant or trying to get pregnant, and that's to take an experimental medication. So yeah. what's wrong with these people? I agree. I don't know. And it, it's just, it's it's ridiculous. Like, thankfully, it's calmed down a little bit in a sense where we're not getting these questions on, on like, on, like the beginning of last year was really intense, like really, really intense. And there'd be times where I know that they had just gotten because they've communicated oh well we we're going to get the booster before transfer or like a implantation and then there's bleeding or there is we're trying to stop abnormal bleeding because there's been just abnormal bleeding after getting a booster or after getting the vaccine i mean it's just it's mind blowing that doctors were telling people to do this but it's not surprising like you you know we know that they just like you just said like they're just following this rule but not thinking ethically or not even thinking properly in itself it's heartbreaking it really is heartbreaking because there are people who are using their last embryos or 
you know, like you said, spending tons of money on IVF cycles because it's not cheap and then not being able to get pregnant. And have you, have you seen rates falling in your own rates of success? Have you seen, you said you saw more miscarriages. You said you used to see them occasionally. Now you see them, you know, every more. week, you, every week yeah. you've seen a bunch, but do we have to be concerned about embryos that were conceived and frozen that, well, you know, what do you, I mean, what's your thought process? Maybe you don't have one and that's okay. I all, you know, I, I go under the, the preconception and bliss does too, that mother nature has a design. And every time we interfere with mother nature, even for good things like IVF is a miracle, like laser surgery for twin, twin transfusion is a miracle, but we are messing with mother nature and whether we want to accept it or not, there's going to be a ripple effect somewhere downstream. And whether we look at it or we refuse to look at it, it doesn't mean it's not there. And so we're doing these IVF pregnancies. And I know in my own experience, I'm working on my twin paper right now with my friend Rick Safrizen. And we, out of the 100 twins in the paper, we had 14 that were IVF conceived. And of those, we had six of the 14 had a C-section, which was 42.9%. And our overall C-section rate in primips otherwise was 23.8%. Our overall C-section rate was about 7.5%, but that includes multips. But I'm assuming most IVF women are probably primips. That would just, that's just my, I'm making that assumption. So the C-section rate is essentially twice as high. We also had three that had preterm labor and premature rupture of membranes. And we didn't, I didn't, my numbers are too small to look at the placental abnormalities or cord implantation abnormalities, that sort of thing. Certainly miscarriages don't make it into my numbers because they're not, I'm talking about delivery, people that make it to term. So, but there is, you know, there is certainly, uh, whether it's anecdotal or whether it's maybe not statistically significant evidence in my own world that IVF pregnancies are slightly different. There are more things that can go wrong with them. So again, we're doing things that really is against mother nature, obviously for, for good for many, many people, but we can't believe that there isn't going to be some consequence. And when we're injecting these women with something that you're seeing is causing abnormal bleeding, and then you're charging them $12,000 to do a cycle. It just, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, well, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. People understand where I'm going with that. One of our great sponsors is Element. That's L-M-N-T. It's a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. As Bliss likes to say, none of the BS. It's got uh, lots of salt, no sugar. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. And it's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. But as we always say, it's great for laboring moms. It's great for birth workers. It's great for birth workers who happen to be in the tropics. Uh, I'm planning to take uh, my element with me to my trip in Haiti, where it's going to be hot and sweaty every day. And I'm going to be using that. It's easy to pack. It comes in these small little packets, which make the weight and uh, packing it in your little tiny backpack suitcase. Pretty easy thing to do. comes in multiple flavors. My favorite, of course, is the raspberry salt, but it comes in grapefruit salt, watermelon salt, citrus salt, orange salt. Raw unflavored mango chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. It's got, again, no processed foods in it. It's really healthy for you. A lot of athletes, professional athletes use it. You might have seen some of their commercials on Instagram. We support them because they support us. And if you go to Drink Element, that's drinklmnt.com, and use the code word birthing instincts or backslash birthing instincts, you will get a free sample pack with every order. That's drinkelement.com backslash birthing instincts for a free sample pack with every order. 
Thanks very much. Thanks, Element. Liz, do you have a thought? Well, you know, it doesn't go by me either that you mentioned, Natalie, that <laughs> there's a lot of support from insurance companies to support IVF, which again, for the families that really need it, what a blessing, how amazing, but we can't even get insurances to cover midwifery, you know? So it, it's like, it's this, we're fighting this system that kind of acknowledges certain things that they feel are valid and important and then ignores others. And I think that to your points too, like how many, and what I was asking the question about, how many of these people actually don't even need to be in the IVF, you know, wheel at all, that if they just learned how to relax and support their system and eat well and, um, you know, really give it a good chance would get pregnant naturally. We hear people all the time that like go through all of these cycles and have either they get pregnant and they have a successful IVF pregnancy or they don't, but the next time around they're just relaxed about it and they're not so stressed out. And then they, they get pregnant naturally, you know, it happens all the time. So, you know, I just, am. that's where I come from, obviously is how many of these people could avoid this whole system altogether. Yeah. Great. No, and I can agree with you more. There's there are times where a lot of the times I counsel in the sense where I just say you have to really surrender and you have to really like relax. And for example, I have a friend who I referred to an REI and she saw them, was about to get started, went on a trip before she got started. And on that mm -hmm. trip ended up being ended up getting pregnant. And she's now had to be like, it really is. And a lot of the times when I talk to, to folks, I'll be like, you just have to surrender. Like there are things that we don't have control. Of. And IVF is one of them. We don't have control of what the outcome of the cycle is going to be. And some people can't wrap their head around that, especially the, the people that are very like, I don't know, type A that really want to have everything in order and they want to know all the details and how it's going to go and this and this and this. And then we have to tell them like, the reality is we don't know. You're taking a chance. And these are the statistics. These are the possibilities. But like, we still have this like gray area where we don't know if it's going to take or what's going to happen. But I do tell them, I do know that you can work on surrendering. You can work on your womb. You can work on healing your womb, doing the work, acupuncture, seeing your chiropractor, pelvic floor therapy. There are so many things that you can do. Like you said, you you counsel folks for before conception. I'm, I can't wait to be able to do that as midwife myself and have this thing. My thing is like intentional conception, right? Like if you have an intention and you both work on it and you both get well and healthy and you can you can get to that point. Obviously, this is like a healthy person, but like if we have like really bad cases of endometriosis or things like that that are inevitable, then yes, do IVF, yes, get the support. But like you say, a lot of the times, it's also folks with a lot of money who are just like, oh, well, we can pay for it. We can pay for anything. Or we want a, we want specifically to have a girl or a boy. So we are now going to do IVF so that we can do PGT, PGT testing so that we can get, you know, a boy or a girl. So that's yeah. where we're with nature. Let me yeah. ask, let me ask a, like a basic question about IVF. So for women that have endometriosis, women that have infertility that really need IVF, putting aside the, the COVID stuff, what, what, what's the success rate these days? Well, it used to be, cause it's gotten much better than it used to be when I 
first started in, you know, in the eighties, it's gotten, well, gotten much better. Yeah. The technology and the success rate in the lab has gotten much better. So what, if you, what do you counsel a couple when they come in and say, look at, we, you know, we've tried for, you know, 15 months, we're having regular cycles. We're just not being successful. I have a low sperm count or whatever. Um, what do you tell them the success rate is in any given cycle? Uh, and I know there's variations based on maternal age and paternal age and other things, but in general. Yeah, that's what I was going to go start off with. Is that a lot of the times there are three things that they're going to look at is it's going to be maternal age. So obviously, if the younger that you are, it's going to be, I mean, I wouldn't say that necessarily because we do have some 30-year-olds who are not able to conceive for whatever reason, but usually our majority of our, our, our patients are going to be anywhere from 35 and above. So 35 to 37 to 38 to 40 to even 45. So the percent from my, from what I looked at the data, recent data that there is through the CDC, which is from 2020, because that's the most up to date, I believe that there is. I did do some research on that. And for women who are less than 35 years old, it's about a 47.2%. And then for, for the people who are anywhere from 35 to 37, it's going to be 34.6%. And then for folks who are 38 to 40, 22.1%. And then for folks who are over 40, it's going to be a 7.2%. And this is just for success rates for retrievals intended in a singleton live birth. So there are again different factors to all of it as well. Yeah, that's that's that's, like, a, that's the numbers I was looking for. And and just a quick question, also a medical question, sort of. Do you guys believe in checking blood tests for ovarian reserve? And does that guide you? Yeah, we do. What test do you use? A AMH. AMH. Anti malarian. Yeah, that's anti malarian hormone. So you use that, and the number if it's higher than like one, it's not good or something. What's the what? Do you remember what the numbers are? I can so I know that there are so we check an AMH level and we check an antifocal count, which is we'll do an ultrasound to yeah. see how many are in the ovaries. It's like a baseline. So when we first meet them, we do an ultrasound. Preferably we'd like to do it on the second or the third day, but usually any like we can they check anywhere in the cycle to see how many eggs are in the ovaries. Then they do the AMH test, which is the the antifocal anti-malarian hormone the fsh also because if the fsh is elevated then that's also a little bit of a red flag uh, that's on day three right the fsh day three yeah. yeah um the amh levels you know that's one thing i didn't actually write down top of my head I right. will well, we, won't hold, we won't hold you to it so don't <laughs> don't don't worry i'm just i was just curious because again that amh was not something we had when I was in the first 15, 20 years of practice or even 30 years of practice. It's more of a more recent test that's come out in the last, what, five or 10 years, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I, have a, I have a letter that I want to read because it's up your alley. And I thought, and this is from Marissa. And she says, hi, Dr. Stu and Bliss and Natalie. No, she doesn't say that. I recently came across your podcast. It's been such a breath of fresh air for me. I started the IVF process years ago. And I'm gearing up to finish the process later this year by creating and hopefully transferring embryos. So she did sort of what you said. She probably froze her embryos. She says, I decided to freeze my eggs as a proactive measure. And you, and you, and you mentioned that. I have no reason to believe I have any fertility issues. However, about six months after my successful egg retrieval, my cycle disappeared and I was diagnosed with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. My cycle has since normalized. Despite the fact that my baby will be conceived with the help of reproductive technology, I am still hopeful to have a natural childbirth 
under the care of a midwife. However, some of the research I have done has been discouraging. I've come across birth centers and midwives that refuse to take on IVF clients. Bliss, have you experienced that? No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I do think that kind of what you were alluding to earlier, Stu, that, that some midwives have this idea that potentially if you know getting pregnant doesn't happen naturally, there might be some hormonal things that don't necessarily get connected. And so it could affect how labor progresses. But I think it's like anything else. It's like trial of labor, a wait and see. And they deserve to have great, supportive, loving midwifery care as well. So I don't know. I don't agree with that at all. That's why she's the best co-host in the business. I agree with her. Too. <laughs> I actually wanted to know what your thoughts were on that too, Bliss. So I'm glad that you you shared that because I did oh. want to know. Yeah, there's, there's no reason to think other midwives that they don't because of the placenta, the placenta not being properly, you know, there's just different things that I've heard. And I'm like, I was the perfect person to, to hear. Yeah, that seems sure. crazy to me. I mean, I think everybody deserves to have the opportunity to birth in the way that they want. And then you just you have to wait and see. Right. And ho hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, none of that stuff's going to be an emergent in a situation where you couldn't Transfer, as long as they make it to term, I mean, if there's a greater risk of preterm labor, that's not really an issue. They still deserve midwifery care because they're going to get less Thanks. likely chance of preterm labor with midwife, midwifery care. Yeah. And what I see with the IVF moms is, you know, I really, it's either they, it took so much technology to get pregnant that they feel really nervous about not continuing down that path and getting that kind of support, or it's the complete opposite. It took so much to get pregnant and they just want to feel normal and like they're having a normal, natural pregnancy. So whatever, yeah. whatever the desire is, you should be supported in that. And that's what Marissa is writing about. So she goes on, she says, I also have worries about automatically being labeled as high risk due to the fact that my baby was conceived via IVF. Hmm. Well, you will be. That's in the medical model, you will be. In, in the midwifery model, not necessarily. Well, some midwives will and some won't. I am considered, quote, advanced maternal age, unquote, she's 36, and I have PCOS. I am otherwise very healthy. In fact, I just had my yearly physical and blood work, and all my results came back the best I've, never, I've ever been. I'm also in good physical shape. I don't have a high BMI, which some women with PCOS struggle with. That's true. I was wondering if you could provide some insight for my situation. Have you had women who have IVF pregnancies under your care? And Bliss has already answered that question. Yes, of course we have. Is the pregnancy and birth automatically deemed high risk? No. No, it's high risk when it becomes high risk. It's just not necessary. Again, it's how, it's how someone defines high risk. Bliss and I have talked about this. We don't think that anybody gets through a pregnancy in the medical model of, of care without having something labeled to them. Yeah. They'll always find something to label you with. Uh, is the pregnancy and birth automatically deemed high risk? Does the prenatal care differ for IVF moms or moms who suffer from PCOS? And both you guys are shaking your heads. That's good, because <laughs> that's the answer is no, it shouldn't. Right. So thanks, Marissa, for writing that. Comments, yeah. Natalie. I mean, I'm, I hope that she finds a midwife that is able to work with her. I think it's important, like Melissa said, that, you know, I do see a lot of folks who, in a sense, well, like like Bliss said, go through all of this and it's all like step by step. They know everything. And then their pregnancy, they want it to just be not medicalized at all. There's some folks who are just like, I don't even want to know, like they'll genetically test their embryos, but they will not, they won't want us to disclose what they're going to have because they're like, we've been knowing the entire process. We at least want that to be a surprise. We at least don't want to know what, you know, just 
choose the best embryo to implant because there's gradings on the embryos. And then the doctor will then be like, okay, well, this is the best grade. This is what we're going to implant. But then we have a form where it says, do not disclose the, the sex of the embryo to the parents. And then they won't, they won't know until the baby's born. Um, like you said, there are some people who are so nervous about the entire process that it took them so long to actually get pregnant and stay pregnant that then they're going to want to continue that medicalized continuous care where they're going to continue to get ultrasounds because in IVF, they do get ultrasounds every week. Like once, once they're pregnant, we will do an ultrasound about every week. So like we'll do, we'll do the beta eight. So if we're doing a frozen embryo transfer, we'll do an HCG level on day 10 or 11. And then we want it to be greater than 50. And then we watch it double in two days. And then after that, around that time, once it doubles, they'll probably be almost about five weeks and or four and a half, almost five weeks. And then we'll we'll schedule their first prenatal ultrasound, which is the five-week ultrasound, which we always warn them. We don't expect to see a heartbeat or anything. We just are looking for placement to make sure that we see something in the uterus. And then after that, we'll monitor them until they're about nine to 10 weeks pregnant. So they'll do ultrasounds every week and they'll get blood work starting around eight or nine around the seven or eight week period because they're on all these hormones that we have to now start to take them down from so once they graduate us and they go to their ob or to their midwife they're no longer on hormones but some folks are so used to that like hand holding not that a midwife can't do that but a midwife is going to always do an ultrasound and sometimes they just want to do an ultrasound all the time because they're used to that yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. And I I see that in families that aren't even IVF that have that had medical care for their first delivery. And then, you know, they're in care with me and I'm like not talking about ultrasounds at all. And, and they get towards the end of their pregnancy. They're like, don't we need to get another ultrasound? And I'm like, well, let's talk about it. There's no clinical indication. So why? And they're like, it was so medicalized last time. It's just so weird. We yeah. got ultrasound so often towards the end of our pregnancy. It just seems so odd to not get them. And they have to really like bump up against like, well, was that really necessary? Or do you really need that? You know? So it's not just the IVF families. I feel that that happens with if you, if you were in that kind of care before, it just kind of becomes the norm for you. And you really have to start to break those things apart. And I can understand in the first trimester, why, why a family that's gone through IVF wants to be reassured every time they come in. But yeah. I think I think I think that there's there's probably no discussion that goes on about the potential risks of too many ultrasounds. I'm sure that that's really not discussed. Secondly, the idea that they need to do an early one to rule out an ectopic pregnancy makes perfect sense because there is a slight greater risk of ectopic pregnancies when you do IVF, correct? Even embryo yeah. even when you're putting it in the uterus, you I think there's still a slightly higher rate. So proving that it's in the uterus at 5 or 6 weeks is one thing, but doing it at 7 weeks, 8 weeks, 9 weeks, 10 weeks, I mean there's no medical reason that I would think to do that once you prove and see a heartbeat at six weeks in the uterus. But I think that, you know, clearly, you know, and if it's part of the package, then, I, then I'm fine with that. But if the IVF doctors are charging for every ultrasound that's being done, so you're shaking your head. So it's part of the yeah, package. Part of the package. Makes me happy. That makes me very happy. They should still talk about the pros and cons of it. But a lot of the times also... People who are going into IVF don't understand the complexity of how much hormones and how much medication actually goes into everything. So like they'll know the first part. They think not, again, I think all of this, I wanted to say this earlier when we were talking about something, but I didn't get a chance to say where it's just like, I think in general, we lack education in understanding what it looks like 
what a normal cycle looks like, what ovulation looks like, or when we're ovulating, and the norm, the normalcy of what is to be, you know, to have a uterus and to have ovaries. Like, not a lot of women or birthing folks understand that. And I think that if we start there with just educating people to begin with, and then they know their options and they know these things, because a lot of the times I hear, I wish I would have known that after 35, my egg reserve starts to drop. I wish I would have known, you know, that I, there was a test like an AMH that I can do now. And a lot of the times they don't. And then they're in this position where they only have like two to three eggs to work with for a cycle, meaning they have to do more than one IVF cycle to get a normal embryo. And it's always like, I wish I would have known. There's, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from someone saying, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known how to properly know when I'm ovulating. Because like, I feel like it's a big disconnect. Like there's some women who are breathing people who are really connected to their bodies. And then there are people who are completely disconnected and have no idea. And they're just like, tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it and I'll do it. Like, And that is heartbreaking to me. But at the same time, I have to understand that that's where they are in their journey. And maybe they don't want to learn and they don't want to get educated in the sense. But that's what I wanted to really say on that sense, because I do think that if people are educated from the beginning, like like younger folks are educated, they know how to understand the process of things, then, you know, well, we wouldn't have a lot of the things that we face now. But that's just my opinion. Well, you're no, I, I feel the same way. We talked about this when we had Abby and Ricky on talking about their movie with hormonal birth control is that, you know, as young girls, we should be learning about our cycles and we should be learning about our cervical mucus and when we can get pregnant and when we can't. And, you know, this should just be part of understanding our bodies. And I feel like a lot of people would feel more relaxed about pregnancy in general, like getting pregnant or not getting pregnant if they knew what was happening inside of their bodies. But not everybody wants to do the work. Some people just want a quick fix, like we were talking about, just do it for me. And so, you know, you can only give people what they're ready for and what they're interested in. Yeah. And I would like to see a couple of things. I would like to see what you said earlier is that people start to duel themselves and start to, uh, you know, lower their stress levels and, 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 you know, plan, do some, do some family planning in their own way. Maybe I know that life doesn't always come out the way you want it to when you end up, you know, at a certain age, which is advanced maternal age. But one thing I would like to get rid of is the number 35. I think that that number needs to be like axed. Okay. Your ovarian reserve begins to fall when you're like, what, 23, 24, it does begin to fall. It says, and every woman is different. So we just want, I just want to stress to listeners who are probably already know this from me, but the idea that suddenly switch goes off at 35 and now you're old, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. But we are designed to get pregnant when you're 13 or 14 or 16, because why would God give us periods and ovulation? I mean, but that's because we are still a primitive body which still doesn't realize it's 2023 you know 10,000 years ago the life expectancy was maybe what 26 27 years old maybe if you look at fossil records and or yeah i guess it's not fossils but old bones and stuff so you know you were meant to get pregnant earlier we're not meant to get pregnant at age 35 or 40 but we but obviously the body can still do that but and so again i'm all for ivf i think it's a miracle and i think the doctors who do it and the lab technicians who who do the manipulation with the micropipettes and all that stuff, which is so cool, 
It's amazing. <laughs> but we are messing, we are messing with Mother Nature. And we don't want to mess with other nature, then maybe we should start having our families earlier. And that may yeah. be controversial, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Liz? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Whatever. I mean, have your babies when you have your babies. But I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, it's interesting to to take it apart and start to think about like what is nature actually designed for us. And then I and then I would just go back to since we're talking about IVF and and fertility and stuff is start with understanding your body. Start with taking really good care of yourself. You know, as Alex taught me, you know, you want to roll out the red carpet prior to getting pregnant. Not everybody plans a pregnancy. Sometimes we just find ourselves pregnant and that's okay too. But if you have the ability to be able to plan for a pregnancy, there's so many things that you can do. If your cycles are not regular, there are things that you can do with acupuncture and seed cycling and, you know, just overall lifestyle changes that can really get you on track. Things that you might not even know that you could feel better because in the in the regular healthcare world, we call it healthcare, it's really not about that. It's about giving you a pill and giving you surgery and you know, kind of like guiding you down this path where you're not really taking good care of yourself. And so mm-hmm. I would say if you're worried about that, start with with just taking really good care of yourself before you jump into all of these medications and expenses that may not necessarily be what you need. Right. So That's Natalie, perfect. Natalie, any final words? Because we need to wrap. Yes, we do. Uh, I mean, I, I can't agree more with, with Bliss with what she just said. It's just, you know, being mindful of everything. I mean, because we also have to factor in environmental things that we don't have control over that also totally. that have like big issue into reproductive things. But really just tending to the womb, you know, loving yourself first and you know, filling your cup first before doing any of this. And if you are doing an IVF cycle, have support and not do it alone because it is really, really a lot to take in emotionally and physically. And if you're doing it alone, you're just going to find yourself going in like a really dark place, I feel. So having the support and knowing your choices definitely is really important and in, in IVF. And you know, I mean, I'm just grateful that I was able to have this conversation with you both. It's been so great. And I'm just, my heart is so full. We, we're very happy. We're very happy that you reached out to us and that, that, you know, the reason you reached out to us was not necessarily a good reason, but the fact that we've got to meet you now, I said it earlier, but the birth world is a better place because you're in it. Absolutely. Hey, Natalie, can people reach out to you and get that kind of support if they're in IVF? You do consults? Yeah. For them? I do. I actually do offer like IVF doula support in that sense where like I can, I like, you know, there's injections and things. So like if I'm in the Los Angeles, Burbank, San Fernando Valley area, so I do offer that support. I can um, give you my website. Um, yeah. Give us your, um, give us your website. Say it out loud. It's uh, sabiduiabirth.com. So it's S-A- It'll be in the show notes, everybody. I-R-C-I-A-Birth.com. And I have all my like, offerings listed on there and I do offer you know birth work placenta encapsulation do home visits for like like any breastfeeding folks I offer lactation education on zoom or in person um I think one of my classmates bliss is your student Anastasia I believe yeah yeah yeah. he's one of my classmates I mean I'm at MCU and then Dr. Sue one of my friends from my mom group that I'm in is Sarah who is also you help with her with her twins. So Bliss I thought was, that yeah, was, Bliss really was that that was a she's been on the podcast before, Sarah P. So 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a small, the birth world in the Southern Cal, well, I'm not there anymore, but it was up until then, and Bliss isn't either, a very small world, even though it's a very large place. So again, Natalie, thanks for coming on. You can you. you can just, you can click yourself off and Bliss and I will wrap up. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey. Hey. What would you think of that? That was great. What a, what a lovely human she is. And those, again, most people are so, they don't even know how blessed they are to have that balance, you know, of the, the natural and the medical world to be able to be there and support and walk them through that journey. So yeah, what a little yeah, angel. I, I just, I just felt that she, you know, when she wrote me a letter, I, I responded to her and I, and then we ended up talking on the phone because I just felt like she had so much to offer. It was just something about the way she reached out. Also, you know, we have shared concerns about certain issues in the medical community. So yeah. And, and she's seeing it. So I hope people yeah. will take a look at that Dr. Drew video in the show notes. And be wise, be careful, and doula yourself. I, that's it. That's all I have to say. How about you? That's it. Okay. See you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 